So I don't know if, uh, if Scott included this in the announcements this morning or not. I wasn't here during the announcements. But, uh, but next week, we are uh, offering at each of the services a car for one person who comes in uh, as a way of offsetting the Colts' 9.30 start. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but I do want to say this. If the Colts lose again this week, then you need to come here next Sunday to pray. Um, amen? Uh, and so you probably need to be here to pray anyways. But, uh, but we are aware of when the game starts next week, and we don't care. So, uh, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Mostly. All right. All right, sisters and brothers, we continue our look at True North, and uh, today we're going to be looking at humanity. And so uh, for that, we're going to uh, base it on the text in Genesis chapter 3. And so I invite you to uh, hear these words from God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. And Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and and clothed them. And the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground. 
from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning on this day before it seems real fall will actually begin, and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the seasons of life. We give you thanks, Lord, for who you have created us to be. And though we know that so often we fall short, we give you praise for your grace and your love for us in spite of that. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, the last couple weeks, if you've been here, as we kind of started off our True North series, we talked about uh, who God is. And so, we talked about the fact that we believe in the Christian faith that God is loving um, and that God um, created the world. God is in control. We talked about how God loves beauty and God loves creativity, as you can see by the abundance of his earth. And, And last week, we talked about the importance of God being with us. Right? We talked about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that God, as being with us, is the one who has reached down well before we could ever reach up. That God has already reached down and grabbed a hold of us. And when we think about God being with us, it means that God is with us both in those difficult and struggling times, but also that God is with us all of us and inside all of us, that there is no part of our lives that is off limits to the love and the grace of God, which means that God wants to heal and restore all parts of us, not just those parts that we'd like for him to see. As we said, God loves us too much to ever leave us alone, to ever leave us at all. But God also loves us too much to allow us to stay the same as we are. And so this week then, we're making the move from God to asking a question about humanity. What, how are we as Christians supposed to understand humanity, you and me? What does that look like? I have a feeling that if you were to do kind of an interview on the street, your response to that would vary and would probably vary dramatically based upon the day or perhaps upon the, what page of the newspaper they had just read, right? Sometimes when we think about humanity, we, when we look at the terrorism, we look at the murder, we look at those who are, who are cheating, we look at those who are selfish, who swindle, who are rude, those who don't let us merge into their lane. When you look at those kinds of situations... See, I always just like to know who was here last week. When you look into those situations, right, into those people, you, you begin to think, no, this, man, people are evil. Uh, but then perhaps also, maybe you're having a day when things are different. Maybe you're reading things that are different, right? Maybe you, you read about the recent sainthood of, of, of uh, Mother Teresa, and you thought about the things that she had did. Or, or you know somebody who gave a kidney to somebody he hardly even knew. Or, or somebody who decided to tell the truth, even though it would have been much easier to have told a lie. Or, or maybe you received in the mail that week a letter from somebody who just expressed how important you are to them. And, you begin to think, well, maybe, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe people are pretty good after all. Maybe, maybe it's not so bad. Right? Or, or perhaps, really, if we're honest, it's, 
It's just if we look at ourselves. When we look at ourselves, sometimes we see evil, sometimes we see good. I think in your bulletin you have this quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn that I like. It says this, it says, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Some days, whenever we look in the mirror... Right At the end of a day, maybe we see somebody who has been loving and caring and someone who's been sacrificial and, and someone who has clearly tried to bring beauty and creativity to the world and, and partner with what God is doing. And, and at the end of those days, when we look in the mirror, we probably think, well, you know what? People are okay. But then there are other days for those of us who can be really honest when we look at the mirror and we realize at that day that we have been remarkably selfish that we have not sacrificed perhaps as we felt like we should have, that we have not brought beauty, but actually we have brought arguments and fights and whatever else. And we look at the mirror and we say, oh, you know what? This is a really bad place. We flesh and bone, we are no good. But the question today is not so much what do others think about humanity or even what do you think or what do I think about humanity? The question is, what does God think? What do the scriptures say about how we should view us? And maybe a good way for us to start, a good place for us to start is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is in Genesis 1, which is the fact that God was created us in his image. What does that mean exactly? Right? Well, there's lots of theories about what it means. Some people, right, in Western thought, it's oftentimes been thought, well, that's because we're rational. We, we have reason, and we can progress unlike most animals, you know. We can progress. We can also regress, I would say. But, but we, have, we have opportunity to really move forward. We can reason in ways that animals can't. And I, that makes sense to me, I guess. I think, though, that perhaps there are deeper ways I mean, one of it is simply the fact that if God is good, as we believe God is, and if we have been made in the image of God, then there is also something about us that is good, right? It may be buried at times in there, but there is something about us, it seems to me, that is good. And if we have been created as well to be stewards and to help God to be creative and to take care of this earth, Right? If that's also who God is, then that, then that means that that's who we are, which means that we have meaning and purpose. And I think one of the things that it means that we are created in God's image is that we have a sense that we are supposed to be doing something, that there is some kind of meaning and purpose. There is something we believe just innately because it's how we've been created that says we are worth something. So, so what are we supposed to be doing? Right? It's not just coincidental that, that people are always wondering whether they can say it or not, whether they can you know, actually you know, describe it or not. They are always wondering, what is my meaning? What is my purpose in life? They may not always come to the same uh, um, answer that we would, but there's something we believe that God put in all of us that says that. In fact, Augustine, you probably are familiar with this quote. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we find thee, until we find God. Right? Now, but perhaps even more so, it would seem to me, is that the way in which we reflect the image of God is in the way, and this will not surprise you if you have been here very long, is the way in which we are made for relationship. 
When we talk about God, we talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we always say about that, one of the most significant aspects of that, if not the most significant, is that the three in one means that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in community together. They are in relationship with themselves. And whenever it is that we have been created, I would say, out of that loving relationship, if we are made in God's image, it means that we were made to be in relationship. It means that we were made, there is something inside of us that yearns for community, that yearns to be in relationship. I would say vertically with God and horizontally with others, right? What do we say? Jesus's great commandment, right? The two great commandments are love God and love neighbor, right? We're getting this. Right? And as we always say here, that is not an extra. Being in community, being in relationship with God and in relationship with one another, this is not just something that's kind of nice. It'd be nice. No, 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 no. It is who we are if we have been made in the image of God. So that's what the story of creation tells us about humanity. However, the question then is, if this is the story that we are loving, that we want to bring community, that we care about our relationship with God and others, that we want to bring beauty and creativity to the world, if that's the story that creation tells us about humanity, why are we so often over here? which I think is where we see Genesis 3 coming into play. Genesis 3 begins over here, right? Adam and Eve, everything is going great. It's exactly as it's supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. They are bringing beauty. They are stewarding over the earth. They seem to be loving each other. They seem to be in a great relationship with God. Apparently every day they're going for, for walks together. Things are exactly as they are supposed to be. And then the serpent comes into the scene. And the serpent, right, usually we, we kind of, I mean, the serpent in some ways, right, he gets a bad rap. He doesn't force Adam and Eve to do anything, really. He's not taking the fruit and saying, here, and cramming it down their mouths or their throats. No, what, what he does is he begins by just simply asking a question, right? Did God say that you couldn't eat of any of the fruit to which Eve rightly says, oh, no, 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 God I didn't say that. God, you know, no, God said that we could only not eat that one. Huh. And as if for the first time, perhaps, all of a sudden, Eve begins to see this tree the tree that had been prohibited her, and rather than just saying, okay, no, 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 that's just off limits, fine, all of a sudden, it seems, with that one option, she begins to realize that the freedom that God has given her, that if she really wanted, she could take that. And so uh, the serpent, clearly realizing, it seems to me, that he's on to something here, says, well, you know, you, you won't really die. In fact, you realize that if you take it, you will be like God. And you will know the difference between good and evil. 
just like that, all of a sudden, what the serpent does, and every time I say serpent, I'm going to hiss a little bit, I can tell. What the serpent does is gives us another story, another possibility, another narrative in which to understand humanity. And you see, the story that the serpent gives us is a story which says, are you sure that you can trust this God over here? Are you sure that you are really supposed to be dependent on that God and on other people? Are you, are you sure that your meaning and purpose is really supposed to be uh, about reflecting who God is and bringing beauty and creativity and, and, and helping to steward the earth in good, healthy, flourishing ways? Are you sure of that? Or is there, is there another story? See, what I would suggest is that what humanity continues to wrestle with now after the serpent introduced this story to Adam and Eve is the question of which story of humanity do we want to believe? Can we believe the story of Genesis 1 or do we believe the story that we see in Genesis 3 by the serpent over here that says, no, 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 we have our own meaning and purpose. We can discover that on our own. We can be, we can be alone. We don't need anybody else. We don't need God. There's a better way. There's a, there's a different way over here. And what I might suggest is that actually, that actually every day by the way we live, we are declaring which story of humanity we want to live into. If I were to ask you, which of these stories do you believe about humanity? Do you believe creation? Do you believe Genesis 1? Or do you believe over here, Genesis 3, right? 98% of you would say, oh, yeah, we believe this over here. This is, this, is, this is how we view humans. This is how we think we're supposed to be. But as I'm always saying more and more now, I'm not asking you, what do you think? The question is, are you living as if you believe this story, or are you living as if you believe in the story that the serpent is telling us? And the reality is that the stories that the serpent gives us can be all over. They run the gamut. They can be external. They can be internal. They can look like a lot of different things. For instance, uh, let's look at one of the sexier sins, if you will, right? Uh, uh, anger and lust, um, you know. And, and so anger and lust, if you remember back early this year, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about anger and lust. But one of the things that we said is that this is not just a question of, okay, well, this is right and this is wrong, as sometimes we are apt to just kind of leave it at that. No, 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 no. There's something much deeper than that. And actually, when you give into or when you wrestle with one of these things, what you are actually wrestling with is what story do you believe? Because the reality is that as soon as you begin to harbor great anger at somebody, as soon as you begin to lust, all of a sudden you do not look at them as being a part of the creation story, whoever that is, or for whomever it is that you are angry over or lusting after. They are not created beautifully by God, not in a good way. No, 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 no. All of a sudden you're beginning to look at them in this way, which is that they are objects for you. 
right? The quote that we talked about then was by Dale Bruner. And here's what Dale Bruner says. He says, the other person is no longer really a unique human being, right? A unique, they are no longer a unique human being. They are no longer the creation story over here that we believe. Oh, no, 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 no. They're over here. They are now simply kindling, tender, a thing, a way for one to enjoy oneself, to express oneself, to feel oneself power. In other words, when they're over here, all of a sudden, they are your servant. They are not those who are over here with whom you are supposed to serve alongside. Now, we don't always think it through all the way. We just think, no, I'm just mad, or no, I'm just desiring. But it's actually much deeper than that. It is saying, which story do you believe when it comes to other people? But there's also other ways that we hear the other stories from the serpent, right? Let's, let's think about going to the mall. Uh, on Thursday, I was able to teach at the Life Changes class. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that James Smith says that when you go into a mall, you are not just going in there to buy clothes. They are not just selling you clothes. They are selling you a story. They are selling you something beyond that that tries to give more meaning and purpose than just having a shirt to wear or pants to put on. When I worked, um, well, I won't say who it was. I, uh, when I was at graduate school, I, I, I did clothing retail for a while, a couple years actually, and uh, at, at a fairly you know, normal place, a good place, a fine place, whatever. It was a place. And so we were there, and one of the things, my cousin worked alongside of me, and one of the things that we began to notice after a little while was what the story was they were trying to create. And we noticed it by their hiring processes. Now, they would hire all sorts of people. But the people they would hire who clearly they thought were attractive and who were in shape, they worked on the floor. The people who perhaps, in their eyes at least, were not quite as attractive and maybe had let themselves go a little bit, well, they worked in the back. They stalked. Now, I'm not going to tell you where I worked. Some of you are just assuming. I get it. But what we realized, of course, is that what they were doing is that they wanted the people of all stripes, it didn't matter to them, who walked into that store, they wanted them to begin to think, wait a second, if I buy the shirt that he's wearing right now, and he's like an Adonis, then I am going to be un. Adonis, and I am going to be able to live like that. Or she's coming in and saying, hey, if I buy this camisole, right, cami as we call them in the biz, if I'm going to buy that cami, right, sorry, this is just, this is just retail. If I'm going to buy that, then I will look like her, right? And they're selling something that is more than just a shirt. They are telling you, if you do this, that you will move up in this world. And this is the story that they are selling. And you will have more meaning and more purpose and more worth just buy that t-shirt. don't even realize it usually. That this story over here is so different than the story that says, oh, I don't know, your beauty and your creativity, your worth comes from, from who God is. 
The last example that I thought of this week is, is something that I realize is going to make me sound like a curmudgeon. And I want you to know, I cannot, I cannot wait to be a full-blown curmudgeon. I'm really looking forward to this in my life. It's something that's been troubling me for a little while, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why it is. And the reason is, is because oftentimes the story that we listen to over here, it looks a lot like the creation story, but, but there's just a subtle difference or two. But what I'm talking about is, is, is this kind of sense, and it seems to have increased dramatically over the last 20 years, of, of, of this notion that you are special. You are unique just the way you are. You should stand out. I, I, I see it on Facebook with these little sayings that get thrown up there. I hear it on some of the cartoons that my girls watch. I, I read it in some of the stories that I read to them. Now, I know what you're saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what are you saying, Dak? You're saying that you shouldn't, uh, that we're not special, that we're not unique, that we're not each beautiful in our own way. Don't, don't you tell us that, actually? Don't you, don't you sometimes say that? I mean, isn't it true that if, if we have been created by God, right, specially, that we're not just machines, each of us have been created uniquely and special? Aren't we special? Yes, but here's the rub. More often than not, whenever we hear about the sense that you are special, you are unique, you are different, you stand out, it is completely detached from the reason why. Which is that it's not because of what you have done or who you are in your own. It is always attached to who God has created you to be. In other words, whenever we start talking about how you are beautiful, you are special, you are unique, that is because of who has created you. It's not because you just have this inherent amazingness all on your own. And that makes all the difference in the world, it seems to me. Because if all you think is that you are special and you are unique on your own, do you know how that story ends? It ends with all of us being narcissistic and doing everything we can to stand out against anyone else. It ends with our saying, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I certainly don't need God because I am on my own and I am special and unique. The story of God is that you are special and you, you are unique, not so that you can stand apart from a community or from anyone else, but so that you can help to deepen that community. We need all of your specialness, all of your uniqueness, not so that you can say, I'm better than anyone else, but so that you can say, how can we together now continue to bring more and more beauty, more and more creativity, more and more joy, more and more of God's love and grace? Those are two different stories. But they are easily confused, it seems to me. So the question then that we are left is, which story do we believe? And I want you to think about your week. I want you to think about this past week. If I were to say to you, tell me about your week, don't use adjectives. Don't say it was good, it was bad, it was, it was midland, whatever. No, no. Think about some of the stories you would tell me. I, this happened, or, or I, was, I was thinking about this, or I did that. And then I want you to ask yourself, of the bulk of those stories, if you were to go back and look at them, which story do they align with? 
Do they align with the story over here of creation? Or do they align more often with the story that the serpent over here is telling us? I want you to know that this is not just some kind of theoretical question. This is a real question. And a part of the reason, I think, I was just kind of wrestling with this sermon all week. A part of the reason why this is so significant is because I realize how important this is to my children. It is absolutely critical, the lens through which my children see this One of the things that I realize, and it may be I'm even more bent on this because I have four girls, and now the seven-year-old, I begin to hear things from time to time. I begin to hear questions about, am I pretty? What's my worth? And I begin to realize that these are not just kind of abstract questions, but what my daughters need to hear first from their parents, and first from Scripture, then from their parents, is a need to hear the story of creation, that their beauty is because God has made them just how they have been made, that their purpose and their meaning, that they are not here to be objects of anyone, as this story over here would tell you, but they are here to be partners in what God is doing. But I want you to know something. For that to happen, for them to be able to know that and believe that, it's going to take all of us together. Because when they go out, those stories over here will get louder and louder and louder. We cannot keep them from those stories. But what we can hope and pray is that they will remember all of these participants in the story of creation that have been surrounding them year after year. And when they get into their tweens, oh God, help us, and their teenage years. And when they begin to hear other stories over here, that they will remember that they have been surrounded by a community that says to them, no, 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 that's the wrong story. This is the story of who we are. This is why you are worth anything. This is what it means to be a part of this world. You are loved because God has loved you. You are special because God has created you. Sisters and brothers in Christ, which story are we living into? My hope and my prayer is that we can continue to live more and more into the story of creation. And in so doing, might we be a community that helps others to see that when they look in the mirror and when they look at the person next to them, that they are a gift of the Almighty God. For God's glory and for God's glory alone. Let us pray. God, we are vividly aware that we live in a world full of different narratives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people who live into the story of creation. A story, God, that says your worth, your purpose, 
your identity is found in me. That you have been made in my image. That you are loved. Help us, God, to understand more and more deeply what it means that we are dependent upon you, that we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.